Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. If you want to go and find your, your scripture place, we'll be in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18 uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, in this series, we've been talking about uh, kind of asking ourselves or challenging ourselves whether or not we'll let God use our lives to change our world. And, and that means your world. That means the circles you walk in, the environments that you're in, uh, will you let God use you in those places to change the world? And we're being challenged by looking in the lives of missionaries uh, and some scriptures that were kind of uh, closely aligned to their lives uh, to challenge us. Uh, be real easy, as I've said already in this series, as we hear the stories of these missionaries, be real easy for us to stop and ask ourselves, what have I done for Jesus, you know, uh, as we look at these stories? Uh, we started out with William Carey, and William Carey left England to go to India. The reason I'm kind of rehearsing that, I'll, I'll point it back out in just a minute, because it's got a connection to our story today. Uh, Adoniram Judson uh, left America, uh, and he also went to Indian, uh, India as a missionary. Uh, we looked at Bill Wallace, who uh, grew up in Tennessee. He's one of the more recent uh, missionaries we looked at, and he felt a call to go to China. And uh, then the last time we were in this series, last week, I just couldn't preach it because of the crud uh, that I had. I just looked at one verse of Scripture. Two weeks ago, we looked at Jim Elliott and uh, those missionaries that were with him and how God used uh, them to, uh, to change their world and even influence the whole world, all these missionaries, because of their ongoing stories. Today we're going to look at a missionary that I have never heard about before until I started this series. And his name is George Lale. How many has heard of him before? You heard of him before and all? I had not. And I kindly, I hope there's no ulterior reason why I'm not. You'll understand that in a minute. But we should have heard about him. And here's why. He predated William Carey going on the mission field by, by 10 years, uh, was on the mission field 10 years before William Carey had gone on the mission field. He predated Ananiram Judson by 30 years going on the mission field. In fact, he's the first Baptist missionary to leave his homeland to go to a foreign land. So to me, maybe we should have heard about him. The amazing part of his story is this. He's a black man who was born a slave in Virginia. Maybe that's why we've not heard about him. I hope that's not the reason. I hope he wasn't left out of mission history and not written about so much because of, of, of that being the, the case. But he was a black man born to a slave family in Virginia. That means he grew up a slave. His dad was sold back and forth. So he wound up moving with his family, and then he himself was sold. And he winds up being a uh, slave in Georgia eventually. He had some positive influence from his dad because some people that knew his dad even said that he was one of the, the first black men in that day and time that seemed to know God in a spiritual way. So he had that kind of influence in his life. He was always 
scared of God, kind of. He had a fear of God, George Lytle did, because he was just knew enough about God and been taught enough about the holiness of God and the perfection of God that his fear of God kept him away from wrong influences. I, I, I wish I could say the same. You know, what I knew about God as a child should have kept me away from some junk when I was in high school. But, but that helped him to stay away from some negative influences in his life. He didn't know any way better because of what he had been taught than just trying to please God by his works or by trying to be good. So, so that's what George Lyle was trying to do, trying to please God in, in that way for his hope of salvation. But he never could get confident in that hope. Later on in 1773, at the age of 23, Lyle came to faith in Christ. He'd been wrestling for six months with condemnation in his mind, in his heart. And this white minister by the name of Matthew Moore started ministering to him there where he was having to serve as a slave. He came to faith in Christ. Eventually, he was baptized by this white minister, Matthew Moore. He was discipled in a white church. Eventually, after his call, he was ordained by that same white church, that same Anglo church. He was ordained to the ministry on May 20th, 1775, and that we know of, he's the first ordained black Baptist pastor in Georgia. He said, people said about him, he had a genuine humility, that, that he was marked by the humility that he had in his life as he went forth to preach. He would preach in Savannah, Georgia. He would go out to where the the slave trades were taking place in Savannah. And he would go out to the plantations and he would preach to the prisoners there. And many of them were starting to come to faith in Christ. He was known to travel up as far as South Carolina and also to preach to the slaves in South Carolina. He became married. He met his wife, Hannah, who also came to faith in Christ. They had four children who also came to faith in Christ and he would work and support himself as a farmer. And he also had a, some horses and a wagon that he'd been able to buy and even did some work for the U.S. government way back then, hauling things for them, which would have been a strange thing. Some people listening to him preach, and this may not mean much to some of you if you don't know anything about church history or revival history, but some people compared his preaching to George Whitfield. I'm going to tell you what, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> to have your preaching compared to that of George Whitfield. After he became a Christian and he was ordained to the ministry, <coughs> he was owned by a, by, by, by a white Baptist deacon. And this white Baptist deacon by the name of Henry Sharp set him free because he came to faith in Christ and was ordained to preach the gospel. Later on, though, Henry Sharp was killed during the Revolutionary War. We're talking a long time ago, aren't we? And when he was killed in the Revolutionary War, you know what his family did, Sharp's family? They decided to try and reverse the freedom of George Lale and had him thrown into prison trying to bring him back into slavery. But guess what? George Lale was able to produce his freedom papers. Now, I know I've not read the scripture yet, but will you stop and camp out on that thought for a minute? Because Satan loves to try and take us back under bondage, doesn't he? 
He loves, even though we've been set free to try and make us feel guilty and live under the bondage of the old life that we used to have, whenever Satan comes around trying to remind you of your old life and trying to pull you back into your old life, we need to show Satan our freedom papers that we have been set free in Christ. And that's exactly what he did. He winds up being let go from the prison, but because of the persecution that he thought may come his way and for his family, he was able to raise $700. He borrowed $700, even did it kind of by, 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 like he was slaving out his own family to start with. He got $700, and he took that, and he took him and his family to Jamaica. So what men meant for evil, you ever heard this before in the Old Testament? <laughs> What men meant for evil, God intended for good. You ever study the, the life of Joseph and think about that? Men meant that for evil, to persecute him, try and bring him back under slavery, that made him leave America, go to Jamaica, and he winds up being the very first Baptist missionary in Jamaica. And as he is there, he starts preaching to the slaves in Jamaica. And he winds up having success by winning them to Christ. He winds up starting a church in Jamaica with the people that he was reaching. He had already, by the way, I think I skipped over this. He had already planted a church and started a church in Savannah that still exists today. The African Baptist Church in North America that still exists to this day. But now he goes to Jamaica. He's serving the Lord there. He's preaching the gospel to those people there. After he had been set free and he decided to leave this country and go to America. And now as he's there set free, he serves as a faithful cross-centered, grace-preaching minister of the gospel, and he becomes filled with compassion for all the wretched people in Jamaica when he looked at their lives. Let me do another side lesson before we get to our scripture reading. Guys, when we come to faith in Christ, we ought to feel the same way because everybody's not been set free. Everybody doesn't have their freedom papers yet in Christ. And we need to look around in a lost world. We ought to have compassion for people that are living wretched lives all around us because they have yet to come to faith in Christ. And that's what we see happen in the life of George Leo. He planted the church in Kingston, Jamaica during the eight years of his preaching. He baptized 500 people there in Jamaica. He, when he arrived there, uh, in, in Jamaica, there were about 8,000 Baptists to be known in Jamaica. But by 1832, there were over, over 20,000 Baptists there, mainly because of the catalytic ministry he had had among all the people there in Jamaica. We don't know where he died. We do not have a gravesite for him because eventually he left the port cities of Jamaica and he went into the inner part of Jamaica trying to reach people with the gospel that had never heard. And at some point in time, he died there in that area. In his life, we can have a picture of someone who had been saved by grace, understood what that meant after they understood what it meant to be saved by grace, and a picture of him being a faithful proclaimer of the gospel. The scripture we're going to read deals with the apostle Paul. And many people have drawn an analogy, as is true of a lot of these missionaries, with some of the life of the apostle Paul. We'll see it again next week. Next week, we're going to talk about David Brainerd, God willing. That's where we'll be next week. And you can see comparisons between Brainerd's life and those of, of the apostle Paul. Many people saw an analogy between George Lale, this 
black slave that had come to faith in Christ and been set free, and they see a comparison between him and the life of the Apostle Paul. Stand with me as we read these verses. Galatians 6, verse 11 through 18. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is uncrucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And it's for all who walk by this rule, talking about the rule of grace, the new creation that you become when you trust Christ as your Savior. For all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Which, by the way, I'll say more about this in a moment. In this particular instance, that's a reference to the church, those who've been redeemed by faith in Christ. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. In, in verse 17, when he used the word marks, you can be seated. When he used the word marks of Jesus, he uses the Greek word stigmata. We, we get our English word stigma from it today. What the word meant in that day and time was this. It meant a stick or, or a prick in the flesh, a mark that's incised or punched for recognition of ownership, or a scar of service. It was used in that day and time. This type of stigmata was used to mark soldiers and where people knew that that soldier was in service to their country and they had to stay in service to their country in that day and time. It was also used to mark slaves to where slaves were marked as being owned by their master, and they could clearly be identified as being owned by their master. It was also used to mark people who wanted to mark themselves of their false god, and they would take the image of their false god engraved into their flesh to where they were represented, they were a servant of their false god. But as Paul says that he had been marked by Jesus, what he's talking about is this. He's been marked as a soldier of Jesus. He's been marked as a faithful servant of Jesus. He's been marked by the true living God, Jesus Christ himself, when he trusted Christ by faith. Paul had been marked to be a faithful servant, a faithful, devoted follower of the true and living God. Paul was marked both spiritually by the touch of Jesus, but he was marked in his body physically because of the times he had been abused and suffered for the gospel's sake as he would serve. George Lyle had been touched spiritually, but George Lyle also was touched physically because even when he made it to Jamaica, he winds up being arrested in Jamaica. He, he winds up being put in prison. They're claiming that he's preaching sedition and what he's doing is really preaching the gospel. And he's there putting stocks and bonds and his own family couldn't even see him. Eventually he is set free, but he will bear the marks in his body all the rest of his life of the bondage that he had been put in, even while he was there in Jamaica. Both of them carry 
the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what I want us to talk about this morning as we look at the text we read a moment ago are four marks or four characteristics of a faithful cross-centered ministry. We can find these characteristics in the life of Paul. We can find these marks or these characteristics in the life of George Lale that I've already talked so much about today. But guys, if we're going to have the kind of ministry we ought to have as a church, and if you're going to have the kind of ministry you ought to have as a believer, you need to have these same marks and characteristics in your life of a faithful cross-honoring ministry. So let's talk about these four marks. Mark number one is this. A faithful cross-centered ministry is marked by humility and not pride. A faithful cross-centered ministry is marked by humility and not pride. Galatians 6, 11 through 13 again. See with what large letters I'm writing to you in my own hand. For it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. You see, that's what some people want to do. Practically, they want to show off the things of the flesh instead of just faithfully showing off the things of God. They, they, they would want to force you to be circumcised in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross. Even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that you may boast in your flesh. Now, let me just say a little bit about circumcision. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it. The men want me to move on real quick, you know. Moses did it with Flintstones. I, you know, I, I would hate to have been, you know, to, to adult men, by the way. I, I would hate to, to have been part of that. But, but that was a mark in the flesh. It was a mark that, that God gave the Jews to identify them as who they are. And they would hold to that as some type of legalistic identification that simply because you're circumcised means you belong to God. But now the true gospel enters in, the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ enters in, and guys, just having a mark in the flesh, which is a work. You know, somebody can mark their flesh, whether it be in circumcision or some other way, it's still a work. That's not the true circumcision that God wants. The circumcision he wants is a circumcision of our hearts. He wants us to come to faith in Christ and be identified with Christ, not through fleshly marks, not through works, not through our own abilities whatsoever. He he wants to be identified completely through the grace of God that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. In these verses that I'm about to unpack a little bit more, you can kindly see two types of lives. You can see a correctly focused life and you can see a terribly focused life. A correctly focused life is focused on Jesus. A terribly focused life is focused upon, look at me. You know, look what I can do. In these verses that we're looking at, you can see the humility of a cross-centered life in the pridefulness of a flesh-focused life. These words show us a a faithful cross-centered ministry and how we ought to model that. And these words also give us a picture of a prideful, flesh-driven ministry that we ought to avoid. Let me show you three options that we have. In these verses, there are three options that we can probably choose to live our life upon. Only one of them is the right one, by the way, which is the first one we'll talk about. Option number one is a life marked by a Christ-touch humility. Um, a life marked by a Christ-touch humility. Paul said there in verse 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you. Now, guys, unarguably, I think if anyone knows anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, we would all have to admit the Apostle Paul's life was touched by Jesus. Amen? We would have to admit that, that he had a a Christ-touched humility. 
But as he writes here about, see the, the large letters that I'm, I'm, I'm using, there are kind of two ideas behind what he's saying, two interpretations of it. One interpretation is this, that when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that same prideful Paul, that Paul who was a Pharisee, that Paul who had been persecuting the church, when, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and that bright light blinded him and put him down in humility before Jesus, some people believe that there's a leftover hint of that blindness that took place that affected Paul all the rest of his life. Now, if that's true, we could say this. His encounter with Jesus led him to having a mark in his life that lasted throughout all of his days. Can I stop and ask you for a minute? If you've had an encounter with Jesus, maybe ask yourself this. What marks are there that show other people that's happened? What mark is there in your life that lets other people know you've had a Damascus Road type of encounter with Jesus? You've met Christ, and there's an ongoing effect from you having met Christ. That's what some people believe Paul's alluding to as he writes about writing these large letters. In other words, Christ touched him, and he had this humility all of his days because of his sight was affected. Another interpretation of it is this, that Paul most of the time would dictate his letters to someone else to write down. But some people say that maybe he was doing this. <laughs> he's writing such large letters because he's writing about grace and he's writing about legalism. He's writing large letters as though he's saying, hey, this is really important. You need to pay attention to it. That might be a possibility too. But guys, whatever the correct interpretation is, here's the truth. The life of Paul was touched by Jesus. And, and the life of Paul had this Touch humility that Jesus placed in, in, in his life. Option number two is this. Option number two is a life marked by self-serving pride. That's not the one you want to choose, but that's the one that some people would choose. That's the approach the Judaizers had. That's the reason that, that Paul's writing Galatians. You see, there were Galatians who had trusted Christ as their Savior, been set free in Christ, and the Judaizers were trying to bring them back under the law. And they say they were trying to tell them, well, yeah, you've trusted Jesus, but in order for you to really be right with God and belong to God, you've got to be circumcised. And that's why Paul was focused and so on grace. He started out the letter of Galatians with grace. We're looking at how he closes the letter of Galatians in grace. As he writes here to them, look at a life marked by self-serving pride. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. See, this isn't the option we ought to choose, but it's an option many people choose. A lot of people, instead of wanting to glorify Jesus, they want to glorify themselves. They, they want to exalt themselves. They want, they want pride involved where they're lifting themselves up instead of exalting Jesus. That's more or less what these Judaizers were doing. They, they were wanting to exalt themselves pridefully. They were saying, look, we've got this mark in our flesh. We've got this circumcision. And they were also trying to show these new Galatian believers, hey, you need to do this also. You have to be circumcised. They weren't interested in exalting Jesus. They were interested in exalting this mark they had in their flesh. Now, you may be parking that in your mind. You may be thinking, but preacher, what does that have to do with anything today? Because there are a lot of ways that people uplift themselves in pride. There are a lot of ways people will try and look like they're serving Jesus, but really what they're wanting to do is exalt themselves and lift themselves up before other people. And they're, they're, they're willing to focus on probably man-made rules and stuff like that, trying to avoid 
being persecuted for the real gospel message of grace. That's what Paul's addressing here. A lot of people live a life marked with their self-serving pride instead of it being a, a life that really wants to exalt Jesus. Paul wasn't concerned about making a good showing for Paul. Paul wanted to make a gospel showing for Christ. Guys, that ought to be the desire that we have in our lives. Option number three is really attached to option number two. Option number three is this, a life marked by sin-generated hypocrisy, by sin-generated hypocrisy. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You see how these two things are linked together, these two wrong options? living a life of self-serving pride and in a life that's marked by sin-generated hypocrisy. See, here's what Paul is saying about these legalists. Paul is saying this. They have their pet rule. Their pet rule, their pet law, the particular one he's talking about was circumcision. And he said, that's their pet rule. They want to force you to follow their pet rule. But at the same time, they're not living up to the rest of the law. Guys, let me equate that for you in this day and time. That's like somebody that's got a little pet sin that they dislike in our culture, and and they want to force you to come underneath their mindset of the way you ought to live your life. And while they're wanting to force you to come underneath their rules, their mindset, at the same time, the same person that's trying to force you to come under their rules and their mindset, they're not obeying the law either. It's hypocrisy is what it is. It's someone being a hypocrite to try and force you to do something. And and their motive was this. Their motive in forcing somebody else to do something was so they could kindly, pridefully look at themselves and say, look what I made them do. (laughs) Look at the authority I have. When the truth of the matter was, they would not even follow God's law themselves. They were living in disobedience. Second mark I want you to see today is this. Mark number one is that we need to have a cross-centered ministry that's marked by humility and not pride. Second mark we ought to have in having a faithful cross-centered ministry is this. We ought to be marked by honoring Christ and not self. By honoring Christ and not self. Look at verse 14. But be it far from me, be it from me, far from me, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When when Paul uses that phrase, be it far from me, he's more or less saying, God forbid that I would ever do this. May may this never, ever be generated in my life. May this never, ever be be part of who I am. And he said, if I'm going to boast, instead of me boasting in my flesh or boasting in my abilities or boasting in who I am or boasting in something like circumcision or boasting in the law, Paul says, if I'm going to boast or brag, he said, I'm going to do it in the cross of Jesus. The tense that he uses for in the cross in the Greek means to be in a fixed position. So what he's saying is this. If I'm going to boast, it's always going to be in the cross. If I'm going to brag, it's always going to be in the cross. That's what I'm going to boast about. Think about what we boast about sometimes, you know? How many other things we boast about? I watched part of a ball game last night. I wished I hadn't. 
I was enjoying the first part of it because Carolina's had a bad year, and I thought, man, it looks like they're going to beat Duke. I kind of thought, I hope they do. Can't we just see Lloyd and some of the Duke fans here at church <laughs> this morning? Instead, Duke comes back to win. <laughs> so I get to come in with humble pie on my face and have to listen to them boast. <clears throat> now, guys, I'm just using that for an illustration. Think about all the things <clears throat> that we boast in in our lives. How many things we get prideful about? How much we focus our lives in all these other areas? Well, what we ought to boast about is Jesus. Amen? That's where we ought to boast. <clears throat> Don't boast about your own goodness. Don't boast about all you do at church. Boast about Jesus. Boast about what he's done for you. That's, <clears throat> that's what the Apostle Paul is, is saying here. By the way, let me give you a little bit more teeth to that. If Paul wanted to boast in the flesh, some he could have. Here's, here's why. Look at these verses. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 through 11. He said, look out for dogs. <laughs> Paul's making friends with a legalist crowd, isn't he? Look out for evildoers. <clears throat> Look out for those who would mutilate the flesh. Once again, a reference to circumcision. For we, talking about believers, are the real circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Now look what he says now. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which is exactly when a Jewish boy is supposed to be circumcised. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, he's saying, I, I've got a, a pedigree here, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, <coughs> as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, Notice what he says here. Under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish. Some translations say dung. You want me to give you Caldwell County slang for that word? I better not. We're online, aren't we? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's what Paul's saying. Paul is simply saying, I'm going to intentionally refuse to boast about anything except Christ. Paul is saying, I had a pedigree, but as far as I'm concerned, my pedigree can go in the toilet. <laughs> Paul said that I've got some religious resume that I could focus on, but as far as I'm concerned, it's worthless and it's no good. 
Paul is saying that all those things that he might could glory in, he, he said, I just count those things that done as done. And he said the only thing that mattered to him, the only thing that mattered to Paul was knowing Christ. Paul wanted to be found in Christ. And the tense there means to be found in Christ in a permanent condition. That's what happens when you trust Christ as your Savior. You're in him forever and ever. He said, I want to be found in Christ in the righteousness that is from God. The righteousness comes about from faith, not anything that you're trying to generate yourself. Paul refused to trust in his own non-existent righteousness. So instead of imagining, guys, that you have any righteousness of your own, that you have any power of your own, that you have any ability or goodness of your own, whereby you can be made right with God, you need to understand something. The only righteousness that works is His. And the only way you get that is to trust Him by faith and what He did on the cross. As far as Paul was concerned, the world was crucified and dead to him, and he was crucified and dead to the world. He's more or less saying this, hey, everything the world has to offer, all the pomp and circumstance and the power and wealth and enjoyments and fame the world has to offer. Paul's saying, as far as I'm concerned, that stuff died. It was crucified. It was executed. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm dead to the world, which reminds me of what Paul also said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 through 21. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's saying I died with Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. In other words, I'm not going to you know, minimize or put aside the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, guys, if somehow, if somehow you or me or anyone else could be made right with God by works and by our own efforts, then Jesus died for no reason. But I don't believe that. I believe Jesus died for the greatest reason. He died to pay for the sins of all mankind, and that's the only hope and the only chance we have to be justified. Not works, not marks in the flesh, but a mark of faith that we need to have in Jesus. You see, a faithful, cross-centered, cross-focused ministry is marked by honoring Christ. It's marked by boasting about Jesus. It's not boasting about yourself. And I think we heard that early in the story of, of George Lyle. His focus was upon the cross. His focus had humility in it. His focus was upon the grace of God, not himself. I'll read you his own testimony near the end of the message. His focus was to honor Christ, and for that, he faced persecution in prison, just like Paul did. To honor Christ, he preached the gospel of grace, not the gospel of self-works. Third mark of a faithful cross-centered ministry is this. A faithful cross-centered ministry is marked by gospel grace, not fleshly legalism. By gospel grace, not fleshly legalism. Look at verse 15 and 16. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, he's talking about walking by the rule of grace, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The word he uses for walk means to march in a a military line. To be marching like soldiers is the word that he uses here. That's how it was used in, in that day and time. The, the rule that he talks about, he said, all who walk by this rule, that was literally talking about a measuring instrument, a straight read, or even a standard, like for faith and practice. Here, he's talking about the gospel of Christ being that rule, that measuring standard. 
He said, all who walk by grace, peace, he said, and mercy be upon them. The word that he uses for peace here, there are different words for peace in the New Testament. The word he uses for peace here means to be joined back together with God. Guys, listen, the only way you'll ever have peace is to know Christ as your Savior. I'm telling you the truth as honest as I can tell you. If our peace were somehow attached to our own goodness and our own works, you would never have peace because you would never know when you'd done enough. If my peace were to be attached to what Lynn Parsons has done or or did not do, I can never go to bed at night and have peace. I can never live my life and have peace. I would always have to worry. But when I understand that my peace is attached to the grace of God, it's attached to the gospel of Jesus, it's attached to what Jesus has done, not what I have done, I can have peace in my life no matter what happens. Because I have the mercy of God, the, the, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, that he, the compassion of God that he's extended to us. And he said, let that peace and mercy be upon them. The, the phrase literally means be superimposed upon them. And then he calls the church the Israel of God. Now, I, I need to unpack that a little bit because there's a lot of wrong theology. Some people try and teach that the church has subverted and completely replaced Israel. If you think that's the case, you need to go spend a little time reading Romans chapter 11. If you think that's the case, you need to read a little bit in Revelation and see how God is going to use them, and they're actually going to become preachers of the gospel in in, in that time period. We have not replaced Israel, but now we are part of the true Israel. And we're part of the true Israel, not because of works in the flesh, not because of the law, not because of marks in the flesh. We're part of the true Israel because we've trusted Christ as our Savior. Because we have marked hearts and marked lives and marked spirits, a circumcised heart instead of some mark in the, in the flesh. See, it's only those who really know Christ as Savior that are the true Israel that have the mark of Jesus upon them. Paul is saying what matters is the gospel of grace. And in just general broad terms, that's what he's saying. He he said neither circumcision or uncircumcision in the flesh is what matters. In other words, he's kind of saying this. Do it or not, neither will gain you salvation or make you righteous. There's not anything you can do. There's not anything you cannot do that will make you right before God. The only thing that matters is faith in Jesus. You see, guys, to be honest, you get a full picture, a short picture of the gospel message. What you do doesn't matter at all. What Christ did matters supremely. Because our salvation is based in his righteousness, in his cross, not in anything that you and I can do. You want me to prove that a little bit? Let me give you four verses, and then we'll move on to our last mark. Romans 3, 10 through 12. None is righteous. I looked that up in the Greek. You know what it means? It means none is righteous. None is right before God. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Romans three twenty. For by the works of the law, that includes things like marking the flesh, includes things like circumcision. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No one can be made right before God, just before God, by their own works. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law was never given to be a stairway to heaven to whereby we can 
worked our way to heaven, the law was always given to make us look and think, my God, I messed up. Oh, I'm screwed up. Oh, I don't have any hope. <laughs> to where we turn to the gospel of grace. Romans 3, 23-24. For there's no distinction. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified, made just right by God, before God, are justified by his grace, not by your works, not by your own goodness, by his grace, notice this, as a gift. If it were based upon your works, it wouldn't be a gift. But he gives us salvation as a gift. Here's how that happens. Through the redemption, through the price that Jesus paid on the cross is what he's saying. That, that's the only way that we can receive justification. Same chapter, Romans 3, 27 to 28. So what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold, the Apostle Paul says, for we hold that one is justified, made right with God, made just before God, made just like they never sinned before God. For one is justified by faith, what does it say? Apart from the works of the law. You're not saved. You're not made right with God. You can never be made right with God by things like circumcision or any other work of the law. It all has to be by faith. See, what you need to be is a new creation. Jesus called it being born again. When you admit to him that you're a sinner and you trust him as your Savior, he gives you his nature, a new nature. Mark number four is this. <clears throat> A faithful cross-centered ministry is marked by pleasing Christ, not men. By pleasing Christ and not men. Verse 17 and 18, Paul said, From now on, let no one cause me trouble. Here's why he says that. He's proclaiming the gospel message. The legalists are trying to say, Oh, Paul, you're just telling them it's okay to sin. That's what they want to do. He, he's saying, you're, you're telling them wrong by telling them they don't have to be circumcised. So Paul's saying, quit causing me trouble about my gospel message. He goes on and said, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Not the marks of circumcision. Not the marks of the law. Not the marks of their own assumed goodness. He said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And then Galatians, as I said earlier, was written because of the need to reinforce grace. He started out with grace. He carries grace through this whole letter. And then he closes out this letter by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The word that Paul uses for trouble means to cut. It's as though he's being caused trouble and the trouble, the, the gossip and everything else, the other persecution that Paul was put through, it, it's like all that was making a cut in his spirit. It was making a cut in his heart. And, and what he's saying is, you know, quit, quit cutting me. Quit trying to mark me like that. He's saying, I don't need to be marked by your cuts because I'm already marked by Jesus. I'm already marked by what Jesus has done on the, the cross for me. Remember what the word marks meant? The Greek word stigmata that I talked about earlier, to stick or prick or to mark 
or to punch for recognition of ownership or a scar of service. And I told you we get our English word stigma from it. Paul was willing to face the stigma for Jesus. He was willing to face the stigma in that culture that was so built upon works and so built upon things in the flesh. He was willing to face the stigma of standing for Jesus. He was willing to face the stigma of knowing and loving and serving Christ. He was willing to face the stigma of being a proclaimer and a preacher of grace, no matter what the world around him was saying. He was willing to face that stigma, as was George Lale, our missionary that we're focusing on today. Paul, as I said earlier, carried marks in his body and marks in his spirit. And so did George Lale carry marks in his body from slavery, but definitely marks in his spirit where he had met Christ as Savior. Paul talks to the legalists, and he says, let no one cause me trouble. He said, quit trying to cause me trouble because I'm preaching the true doctrine is what the point is that he's making. They were concerned about marks in the flesh, marks in the flesh. So what Paul talks about is the marks of Jesus the marks of Jesus in his life. There's a big contrast between the marks of the flesh and the marks of Jesus. Paul had spiritual marks in in his life because of Christ. Yes, he had physical marks. I mean, persecuted, as I said earlier, but his life had been marked by the grace of God and marked by the gospel, and he wasn't interested in pleasing people. He was interested in pleasing Jesus. Guys, if we get that one right, it would help us a whole lot in the way we live our lives. You have not been called to please people. You've not been called to please legalistic preachers that fail to preach the gospel. God, I'm just telling you, this area isn't as bad as it used to be, but the area I grew up in, Wilts County, this area both, used to be really bad for legalism. Oh, they could preach about Jesus, but then after they preached about Jesus and his cross and his grace, they'd also make it sound like, but in order to be saved, you've got to do this, 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 and this. That destroys the power of the gospel. That completely destroys. It's Jesus and him crucified, plus nothing, minus nothing. And that's what Paul proclaims here. And he wasn't interested in pleasing people. Let me, let me tell you how legalists were categorized in our scripture reading today in different words. And ask yourself, why in the world would you want to please them instead of Christ? Here's the way legalists were characterized in our scripture reading today. Number one, they were prideful braggarts. Do you like prideful braggarts? you want to please them and hang around them all the time and make them happy? Number two, they're categorized as self-serving compromisers. Number three, they're characterized as manipulative persuaders. They won't persuade you. They're not going to do what they're trying to get you to do, but they're trying to persuade you to do it. Number four, they're described as total hypocrites. (laughs) Can, Can I ask you, would you rather please those kind of people? Or would you rather please Jesus? I think I'd rather... Please, Jesus, and let's make stands upon his grace. Paul also wrote this in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. For no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly, nor is a circumcision outward and physical. Apply that to legalistic people today. They're trying to give an image on the outside that they're righteous and holy because of what they do. 
But he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew, and he's talking about one that really belongs to God. Guys, you and I are not Jewish by our heritage that I know of, unless someone is here that may be that I don't know about that. But I am a Jew spiritually, and so are you. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Who do you want to praise you? Put it in a balance. Well, I'd like for old sinful contrary hypocrites to praise me. (laughs) Or I would like for God to praise me. Which one would you choose? I'm going to ask you a question. Are you trying to please Christ? Or people. I mean, honestly, we're getting ready to do an invitation. Evaluate your life. Evaluate the focus of your life. Who are you trying to please in your life? What are you trying to please in your life? What marks do you have in your life? Paul was marked by Jesus. An ongoing mark in his life. So was George Lyle. What marks do you have in your life that are distinguishing marks that you've been touched by Jesus? What do you brag about? I mean, honestly, what's the focus of your life? What do you go around bragging and boasting about? Put that once again in some scales. Is it Jesus or is it other stuff? Paul boasted in the cross. George Lyle, our missionary today of focus, boasted in the cross. In referring to his own salvation, here's what he wrote. I saw the condemnation in my heart, and I found no way wherein I could escape the damnation of hell only through the merits of my dying Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. I'm condemned, I know I'm condemned, and I can't find any other way to escape it except through Jesus. That's what he's saying which caused me to make intercession with Christ. In other words, because I know I'm condemned and I know I'm on my way to hell and I know my only hope is Jesus, that caused me to make intercession with Christ for the salvation of my poor immortal soul. And then he said this, and I full well recollect, right after he prayed for Christ to save him, here's his other request. I requested of my Lord and Master to give me a work. I didn't care where it was, only to try and see how good I would do it. He's talking about how good he would serve Jesus. Have you sought Christ for salvation yourself? Do you know without any doubt you have? Do you know that you are marked by the gospel and the grace of Jesus? Guys, I'm going to share with you a concern that haunts me a lot in ministry, and it's haunted me all the years I've been in ministry. And that is that good, well-intended people show up in church and somehow, instead of fully and totally dependent upon the grace of God, somehow they're still in the back of their mind holding on to who they are and what they can do and how they can be good enough to go to heaven. 
somehow, maybe they're even showing up at church. Well, I better go to church if I want to go to heaven. We hope you come to church. John and me both, Darrell, we, we, we all hope you come to church. Brandon, we hope you come to church. It's not going to save you. If you're trusting in anything other than the finished work of Jesus and the grace of God, you are destroying the power of the gospel. So I want you to evaluate in your life this morning before we have this invitation. I want you to ask yourself, am I really, really, really just trusting in Jesus? Or am I still holding on to some of these other things? Because if you are, you're destroying the power of the gospel. You're destroying the power of grace in your life. No one's good enough. No one can work their way to heaven. It's only by Jesus. And if you know that, if you know without any doubt you've already trusted Christ in that way, Consider the rest of the prayer that George Lale shared in his testimony. I prayed to receive Jesus, trusted him alone, and I asked him to give me a work. God has a work for each and every one of you to do if you know Christ as your Savior. It may not be my type of work or John's type of work, but he has a work for you to do for the kingdom of God. Every believer in this room every believer on the face of this planet, God has a work for them. And if you don't know what that is, maybe you need to pray during this invitation and say, God, I want to do something for you. Tell me what it is. Help me to do it. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we wind up taking confidence in our flesh and our own abilities and anything other than than you in the gospel of Christ. Forgive us when we boast in worldly things instead of boasting in the cross of Jesus. Father, I want to pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that somehow they've not given over fully to the gospel and they've not fully given over to grace and somehow they're holding on to their own goodness or they're holding on to their own imagined works. They're holding on to marks in the flesh. Father, I pray you help them see their life must be marked by Jesus and must be marked by his gospel and must be marked by your grace. And Father, if there's anyone today that's never, ever really trusted Christ, help them to turn loose of whatever it is they're holding on to and help them to fully, completely trust in the gospel of Jesus, to trust in your grace as a gift and quit trying to work their way to heaven. Father, I pray for everyone here that's a believer already. Give them a work to do. Open their eyes and their mind and their heart and help them to see you have a work for them to do and help them to get busy. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.